Hello, we're live. Hey there. Welcome back to the podcast. Great. So today we have a special guest, Eugene. Um, he is uh, a colleague from uh, past life at Sidewalk Labs and uh, thinks deeply about technology, society, how large institutions interact with um, sort of budding new uh, capabilities. Specifically, in my mind, I think back to healthcare and um, He's done a lot of thinking and work in the area of, you know, how, how can we modernize some of our systems in, in terms of healthcare, especially in Ontario? Uh, he, he is a lawyer, right? I just think about you as the guy I go to deep. <laughs> I'm just a guy. Here, but he does have a profession. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I'm super excited to have him involved in the, in the discussion. And uh, let's begin. Thanks, guys. You didn't tell me it was a lawyer. I don't know if this is okay for us to have lawyers on the <laughs> show, but just wait. You, you didn't sign the NDA. I <laughs> <laughs> got it sprung on me last minute. Classic lawyer move. All right. Uh, okay, so Eugene, you know how this works. We basically share some stuff. We collect things we found that are interesting, and then we talk about it, and we get either excited or we kind of like peter off and it's like okay next link so that's that's kind of what we do here so um why don't i start i'll share a few let me see if i can get this going here all right i'm gonna share uh, so my theme this week is i'm picking out things just there's a lot of b2b applications of ai right like there's so many ways to apply it in business so many like an infinite number I was interested in what are a few personal uses, like just things you can do for your own productivity, uh, your own mental health, et cetera. Um, so first one I'm going to share is this product called uh, Trickle. And so it's, I, I don't know if the sound is going to work. I'll hit play. I'm going to turn off the sound. I'll just narrate. Let's see if this works. Can you guys hear it? No. No. Okay, so you here connect. Maybe I can turn on the uh, the closed captions so people can see here. There's auto generated here. Basically, what it does is you take screenshots of things. I don't know about you guys, but I just take a ton of screenshots. Sometimes I see something on the internet. I'm like, I gotta save that, but I don't know where to put it, and I don't have time to put it anywhere. So you just take a screenshot. The idea with this thing is you take a screenshot, and then it looks at what it is, actually understands what it is makes a library of all your stuff that you can search and it has notes and it's all text editable and you know all that kind of stuff. And I just think about this massive stack of screenshots that I have that I think I'm going to do something with later, but don't actually do something with. And I'm like, finally, somebody solved this problem for me because I'm still doing this ineffective workflow <clears throat> that could now potentially work. So that is trickle or trickle capture. Uh, that's you know basically what it is. What do you guys think? Is this something that would fit your workflow or does it seem ridiculous to you? I'm going to try this like right as soon as we finish this podcast <laughs> because I use my phone. I take screenshots on my phone all the time because I, I just don't know where to put like, you know, I'll see something really cool or an idea, an article or take a picture of something as a reminder. And I just never look at it again. So it kind of, I'm kind of curious to see how this works. Right. Bring it back to the front. Yeah. My, um, my photos are quite sad. They're like, uh, me and my wife like having fun in a theme park and then it's like a bunch of screenshots of home management applications and like you know like weird uis of setting screens and then it's like my kid again for a second and then it's like a bunch of desktop yeah so it's there's there's a real uh 
dual purpose to my photo album that I would love to um, have a different flow uh, or place to put, put my screenshots. I just think it's interesting that so much of our like task managers or like our apps that are meant to memoize our thoughts are, are really in text form, right? And it's kind of cool to see something that's in a more visual format. It has like richer context and it's, yeah, it's more spatially oriented. So you can kind of show a lot of relationships between things potentially. Whereas with text, it's it's mostly linear. And the only way you can reference things is through like like links or something. I think of like the problem that we're facing as far as information, right? When there's a flood of information, how do you remember it and how do you organize it? Not necessarily in that order. Um, and now that there's someone kind of sitting over your shoulder all the time who can just help with it, it's like, now I don't have to do that. You know, my friend here can do that. That's kind of amazing. And I think we're getting closer and closer to that. And each one of these apps that I see kind of feels like a feature as part of like this larger thing. And again, we were talking about this last week that maybe it all ends up at the OS level. Maybe it stays mm. fragmented, who knows? Um, but it feels like the promise of we're going to be able to not worry about organization that much is starting to starting to come true. This is a bit old, but have you guys talked about Rewind on, on this? On the show? I feel like we talked about Rewind on the very first episode. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty much what it is, right? Capture everything, recall everything, talk to yourself, do summaries. Uh, it's, and I think they, I, don't, I can't remember if they've already released it, but I, I think they're coming out with a mobile version too. So that's killer. Yeah, I will use this opportunity to uh, socialize two concepts with you. So the, and it's related to Rewind. So the first one is uh, the always on observer, right? Mm -hmm. So you come to understand that somebody's watching you like over your shoulder, like Al was saying, and there's like a level to which you grow comfortable with an always on observer. So we have that kind of right now with uh, even perhaps our browsing history, like our search results. Mm. So we're, there, there is kind of a background <clears throat> understanding like some thing or like Gmail. Remember when they introduced ads and it was like, they're reading my email. Now we're like, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. It was like people were outraged. Like, we're yeah. so angry that this was happening. You know, I'm never using Gmail again. Yeah. And now if you see someone without like, you know, their personal email doesn't have like a personal domain or a Gmail, you're like, what? You're still using that domain? Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> I, I won't name the service. Right. Yeah. Gonna hold on to that. <clears throat> um, yeah. So we've kind of gotten used to some observers. And, uh, but I, I think the interesting thing is hasn't been literally visual. So I think there's, there's a comfort level in moving to like, what am I allowing you to observe? <clears throat> what are you doing with it? So I think actually there's a lot of companies like Google probably that is consciously holding back on making useful suggestions to people for fear that it might let right. them know that they know <laughs> things, right? Right. And yeah. so... I mean, the classic case study is Target, like, and, you know, right. there's a household and there's a daughter and a father and the daughter the you know, the daughter obviously searches the web, but the father receives a, a targeted mailer from Target that says, um, you know, here's some pregnancy items. And so the father kind of learns that the daughter's pregnant before the daughter's divulge right. that information because of personalization. So I, I think... Um, yeah, it gets uncomfortable when the resolution gets very high, unless you have a very high trust 
in the service, right? So, like, mm-hmm. I, I think about the health, the health stuff that Apple's introducing and, like, the Apple Watch that's, like, kind of, like, checking your your um, heartbeats and letting you know about some congenital heart issue or um, you're going to, you know, potentially need to be to go to the hospital right now. Uh, there's, like, a level of comfort and trust that one has in Apple that you wouldn't do that with maybe <clears> like <throat> a Huawei device, depending on who you are. Right. Right. And so there's like a brand and kind of data custody piece. So that, that's the always on observer, which requires a level of trust and requires me to know, like, what exactly are you observing? <clears throat> anyway, so that's the f- first concept. Thoughts? You can see how Apple's been playing the long game on that, too, because they've been oh, yeah. talking about privacy for years, like four or five years. At least it's been a, you know, probably one of their four main messaging pillars, you know, they've been big on sustainability, they're big on privacy. Um, they're big on kind of like creativity and personal, like personalization, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the whole like, express yourself through your devices, uh, be your best self, be, be cool, right? Like be cool, uh, essentially. And then, you know, all of their classic, uh, what is it? technology meets liberal arts, right? That kind of whole like thing. I still think they're still kind of pushing a little bit, but yeah, you can see how they've been playing that long game in building that trust so that they could be the platform people choose when it's time, you know, to, okay, I can't live without this anymore. I see other people around me, you know, getting so much value from it. I'm getting dragged along. Who is my first choice? Yeah, I think they've done an incredible job. And I think this idea of, you know, being observed is so interesting. Like, I think, you know, how do you position it as an organization that's providing these services? Do you position it as a mirror where people can observe their own posture and kind of learn from that? Or, you know, do you end up being um, perceived as a fish, you know, as putting people in a fishbowl where everyone else can just observe them without having any sense of agency? And, um, yeah, yeah, I think it's super duper interesting. Like, I, I'd be actually really interested in learning about myself through my actual observed habits, you know? What am I interested in? You know, this is what I think of myself, but empirically, like, how does it actually pan out? Um, yeah, and I think that the whole trust piece is super interesting. Like, uh, I'm really interested in kind of technical measures to assure trust. So. Like, what if you could do all that processing on device? So, you know, there's a lot of, you know, services that are talking about, oh, it never leaves your device or it never leaves, like, your prem or we've got a separate instance. But I I think there's also other models where all that computation is done while encrypted in a secure enclave or an encrypted format. And I just think the idea of decoupling visibility of the data and computation of the data i really do think that is the future and for giving people technical assurances that you're not like turning them into a fishbowl how long do you think before people just don't care like you know i don't think twice about how many cameras there are on the street anymore right and for a while you know people would talk about london uk as having the most cctv cameras per square inch or whatever um and then it wasn't a thing like nobody cared. How long do you think until we just don't even care? That's a really good question. I don't have the answer to that. I think, I think you got to talk to like 10 year olds and 12 year olds. I mean, I love talking to my nephews and nieces and I learned so much from them because 
you know, they're kind of natives to that kind of, this kind of environment, right? So um, I think that what they think is probably a lot more relevant than what I think. <laughs> so it's not how long until we don't care. It's like how long until the people our age don't care, which is the next generation, right? Yeah, and they have different ways of navigating. Like, I'm fascinated by which I always ask them, hey, which apps do you use? How do you use them? You know, what do you post? What do you not post? How long do you post it for? When there are other people in your post, how do you, like, navigate that? So, um, I don't know. I think there's, like, some some room here for, for learning through digital anthropology <laughs> for, this, for this, you know, group of digital, you know, natives, I guess you call them. Yeah, I mean, I do have uh, nephews and nieces and a kid. And um, what I've noticed is Roblox is super popular. I don't know if you've heard mm. that. Roblox, Minecraft. Um, they all want Robux for their birthdays. There you go. Robux, exactly. It's a whole economy. But talk about always on. Like, y- you are, like, literally always connected to other <clears throat> people. You are just, like, literally always on mic um, playing that game, right? So... I think it's really interesting because uh, my friend, he has a, a 10 year old son and, you know, he wants to be an influencer. So he started up this Instagram. Um, yeah, he has an Instagram uh, account and he has a, a YouTube channel as well. And I, I watch his videos <clears throat> and it's really interesting to see him kind of adopting the language of all these YouTube influencers. And it's interesting because he's presenting a very, very different persona through those channels than when you see him in person. Right. So Sure, we're being observed all the time, but I guess part of our agency is and what are the different personas that we present to different audiences? Mm. And I, I think like a lot of these, you know, this, this native, this generation of digital natives and social media natives, they kind of get that really intuitively because when they see people, you know, they kind of figure out, oh, okay, this isn't who they are. This is like um, a persona, you know, that they're putting forward. Yeah, this is character, which is, I feel so many different ways about, you know, like, of course, we all wear a mask in different situations, and there's different sides of us that are more appropriate for different things. And there's a healthy component to that. And then there's a completely unhealthy, like, very um, potentially destructive and fragmenting side of that same thing, which is scary, you know, and then going back to being watched, right? And being watched all the time. And what are people thinking? And thinking, well, what are people thinking to the point where now you're being watched by your AI? And it's like, well, what is the AI thinking, right? To your initial point on this thread, and then we'll move on uh, to the next next thing. I, I love the idea that in your daily life, you have a way to improve. You do mm-hmm. something, you think about how you did you decide if you want to make a change and then you go back and you make a change, right? And it's your sort of like higher order thinking that's doing that for you. And there's a second level, which is you actually have to make the change. And are you making the right choice in that moment? Or are you listening to like a lower order thinking? It's right. 8 p.m. You know, I'm going to crack a beer and just watch, you know, Netflix for the next two hours. Or, you know, am I going to, you know what, I'm going to read a book and I'm going to go to bed early and I'm going to wake up early and I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to do all the work that I've really want to do and to think that okay how do you take yourself out of the decision making uh, area and if you're like no I actually just want to improve Mm. the way that I'm doing that is I'm outsourcing that part as well the same way I'm outsourcing my organization the same way I'm outsourcing my writing skills the same way I'm outsourcing this 
outsourcing a fundamental part of your decision making to the sort of, you know, always on observer, to me, makes a lot of sense. We're basically, we're basically ecologies. Yeah, exactly. And this is gr- like entering the ecology, right? Like it's, it's entering this ecosystem of us. Uh, totally. I, I'm feeling it. Um, Wait, right. what do you, well, hold on. What do you mean we are basically ecologies? <laughs> That's, there's something to unpack there. Yeah, well, I think if we're using some kind of service to observe ourselves, if we're using maybe the same service or another service to extract insights from those observations, if we're outsourcing part of our, our thinking to yet another service, who are we? We're, we're, we're an al- amalgam of all those things, so, I think. I see. So this is like cybernetics. So the notion is, yeah, we are part human, part machine. That kind of goes back to, like, it goes back pretty far. And that could be as simple as like a mechanical extension of your legs with the bicycle or the car. But the cybernetics yeah. piece is like, you know, it's an extension of your body, your mind. Um, I mean, how many people are using ChatGPT as a thought partner? Well, a billion. <laughs> Right. And I think it's just, it's <laughs> just really in interesting. Like I'm thinking, okay, well, ChatGPT is trained on a humongous corpus of knowledge, right? But there's a certain, is there a certain flavor to it? And does that homogenize the thinking of, you know, the people who are using the service? Or does it have so many possible presentations that it actually has the ability to increase the, like, the heterogeneity of how people think? I don't know. I see. Yeah, I guess I just think, you also use people as a thought partner. And mm-hmm. so like to say you are any less of a person because you, some part of you exists in someone else. It's like, well, that's not really, that's like humanity. And so like maybe the, the great illusion is actually like you are one person and like, this is just helping us realize, Oh, well, I'm, I'm not actually one person. Like I'm a collection of, of different people inside me and connected to other people and connected to technologies and, Honestly, that's the feeling I'm getting right now, that feeling of like oneness and, you know, connection to everything, uh, for sure. Like, that's how I feel about it. Likewise. Interesting. Okay, let's, let's keep running, running through links, because we got a cool. um, What's the next one? Recast? Yes. Okay. So this is a simple little thing. Um, This is kind of less exciting, but kind of obvious. Um, can you essentially take all the stuff that you're reading or that you save to your, your, uh, read later list and then just have someone read it to you, uh, like bedtime stories while you're on the streetcar or riding a bike or whatever. Um, so it's essentially someone to read out loud to you, uh, the stuff that, uh, you were thinking about reading and like, look at this, look, look at these problem cases. These are great. Is your inbox cluttered with newsletters? Just recast them and get back to a wonderfully crafted conversation. Huge amounts of articles in your need read later list? Yeah, as if you would ever get to reading these. Rather send them to recast and enjoy a podcast conversation, right? This is, this is great. Um, a million tabs to open and read later? I have a million tabs uh, open right now <laughs> to read later. I have this problem. Um, we had that too, but now Recast sends us a comprehensive and engaging podcast. By the way, none of these links are sponsored. I feel like I'm trying to like sell it. 
I just love that these problems are getting solved. Like these are problems that we all face every day. And that's, you know, kind of my theme for, for the week. So lowering your screen time, finding new stories, understanding more deeply, explain the article to you conversationally. I think that's interesting mm. in terms of we, th there's a jump there too on its own in terms of here was the content. And now here's the content in a way that we actually think that you're going to learn it better is making an assumption about it was written in this way by, you know, an intelligent author or a chat GPT <laughs> or other content creation app uh, aimed at driving lots of SEO. Um, and then, you know, you were ready to read it. Is it, is it in the format that's best for you to consume or can we go even one step further and make it, you know, that way? And then how customizable is that? So this is read, recast, let's recast.ai um, if you're just listening. So what do you guys think about this type of product? Well, I, I think the idea of recasting some, recasting some of the content uh, into a conversational format is super interesting. Uh, when I was in law school, I had this buddy um, and he hit on this really great idea and I, I tried it. So what do you do is you take all the text of these long cases we were supposed to read and he'd use the accessibility feature on his computer to read it back to him. And he'd do that like two times speed. And I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. I don't have to like read all these long cases. I'll, I'll just try this. So I tried it. And like Patrick, I couldn't do the two times speed. It sounded like, I don't know, I was being assaulted by chipmunks. Totally. And that's my game. I, I like that. <laughs> and I, I just couldn't um, absorb that kind of content that way. I, you know, I love audiobooks. I love podcasts. But if it's something like, you know, uh, a judgment, like a decision, a legal decision, or even like, um, like a technical paper, I don't think I'd be able to absorb it as just raw audio. So I love the idea of, you know, turning it into kind of some kind of conversation. Yeah, I think it's also like, uh, well, I guess my first question, Al, is have you tried it? I've not tried it. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, it would be cool to try. I think um, so much of the podcast piece is like actually the people that are talking sound more like humans. So I agree with the chipmunk thing, but um, maybe the, maybe we get there with just like it sounding right. Um, but it's also about habits. And I think about like triggers, like is that another thing I think about? Like for that, for the two that you just shared, like screenshots and read it later, they're like, active things I have to think in the moment like I don't have enough time for this I need to put it into a place and I have my place which is I use pocket mm -hmm. and it's mm -hmm. literally my repository for things I will never read but makes me feel okay like I'm like I really should read this and like on a beach someday <laughs> I have been to a beach I didn't read any of it but it makes me feel good for some reason. And it's so, like an like, insurance policy almost right like yeah. I, now I won't lose this <laughs> exactly but yeah, it does make me think like, actually, it could probably look at my pocket list and give me something useful, like in a bite sized format every day. Um, so there's, there's huge things there. And I think with both of those things, the screenshots and the read it later, there is a behavior. It's a self initiated behavior, but there is a behavior. And it seems like a really good starting point for this AI stuff, because not only am I saving it, I'm also getting value out of it. I think the the next build on that is that there's no trigger or a little bit more of like um, 
an automated trigger. Like I think about how push, like push technology, push notification technology changed what a phone is because mm-hmm. you could basically make any app into a messaging app. Uh, and every app is kind of pulling for new information all the time uh, or receiving information all the time. And the triggers become rather than I'm going to open the app, like I interact mm-hmm. with all of my apps through notifications now. Right. So, so it's, it's in the background, it's automatic. Um, and then that's kind of maybe where this AI stuff is really going to shine is like, I don't even think to read it later. And it just like kind of saves it there. Or like, yeah, have the tab open and it's just like, okay, you probably wanted to read this later. That sort of gray area of like, do you want it? Do you not want it? And like making sense of it, summarizing it, giving it back to me. Yeah, I welcome that. There's there's like a training component there too of saying, this is something I'm interested in for some reason, right? Like you're, you're providing information about your interest. Um, and then whether or not it's actually those articles or it becomes a suggestion engine or a conglomeration of those things to help build your personal brain of, yeah, just put this in the back of my brain. I'm actually not even going to consciously consume it, but it's in my AI personal brain now, right? As something that's relevant to me. And that's a huge difference between ChatGPT and any other intelligent agent is those are trained on a more narrow data set of something very specific. So by collecting stuff and saying, hey, this is my data set, this is how I want to think. This is stuff I want to learn. This is stuff that I want to inform my actions, you know, moving forward. That's the jump. Totally. I, I think it's so interesting, too, like thinking about the triggers and the behaviors. I mean, I'm kind of curious to know, like like you guys, I'm an information hoarder. I do it with tabs. So I use our browser now and I have I probably have like 400 tabs open at any given time. And I'm curious, like what is the motivation for kind of keeping all those tabs open or putting stuff into pocket or taking all those screenshots? Is it um, that you're curious and it's like, oh, I want to dig into this more or, oh, this is really important. If I don't, you know, learn about this, I'm going to be missing out on something that's really important. Or is it, hey, this is really useful. I could use this later on or I want to keep it as a reference. You know, what are the different motivations for that? For me, it's simple. It's, it's, you find the right thing at the wrong time. And it's, this is going to be useful for me, just not at this very moment. If it's useful in this moment, I'm not paying attention to other tabs. I'm paying attention to this one, right? Um, so it's, it's the right thing, wrong time. I'm going to need this later. How do I make sure I get back to it later? So you, it, I mean, a great service for you that might be to recognize the context in which that content is useful and to automatically retrieve it and bring it into oh. the board. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, I want that. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to share my screen here. Um this is my pocket. And this is this is what I use it for. Things that I would like to know but are just too long to figure out. <laughs> like 6 minutes. <laughs> oh my god. The long history of like how coffee um, you know, became canned and like I read oh, to wow. the middle and it's like like hardcore science and marketing like i got through i'm like i can't read this whole thing or like i want to dive (laughs) deeper this is actually a really fascinating view on like sets like visualizing set theory in diagrams and like i i read through the diagrams but i'm like i don't really totally get this i need to dig deeper so for me it's like less actionable stuff but it's stuff that um i would love to know one day on a beach Patrick, I think one day you should just share this out. I, I would love to just follow your list. You this stuff is fascinating. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. One day. Just One tweet day. it all, man. Just have your own, like, you know, just throw it all out there, right? Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, I'll wait for the AI to tell me tell me what to do. Um, can I share a couple links? Go for it. So, uh, not directly related to AI, but uh, WordPress. I don't know if you know about this, but they're, mm. like, all behind the meta, the, the Fediverse. Which the what? Is, it's like a decentralized um, kind of API standard protocol for doing things like Twitter, which is like ActivityPub um, and Mastodon and Blue Sky. They're all kind of like hitting on these same notes of being able to have like an open API, open standard in the same way you have email uh, where everybody has a server and it talks in a federated way. This is like a federated way for social or public um, activity feeds. Now that I say that, I remember, Al, do you remember Wave? Do you remember when yep. Wave came out? Google Wave. Yeah, and that was like one of the really cool things. It was like, you can set up your own Wave server. Anyway. Right idea, time. wrong time. Yeah. Yeah, more too early. Too early. And like, probably the wrong company. If you're thinking about like, mm. kind of an open standard for information that's not behind a paywall API. Um, so anyway, that's really exciting. And I think w- w- what I think about this is like Twitter, you know, Facebook, uh, Google, Stack Overflow, Reddit, they all now see themselves as repositories for AI training. Um, and I do wonder what this kind of more open thing does. Like, does it make it so that the open thing is like super toxic and it costs a lot of money to keep like a high quality network going? Or does it mean like, the public conversation moves back into blogs and RSS-like protocols. What do you guys think? Eugene, you first. (laughs) (laughs) Still processing. (laughs) This one I have less opinion. Uh Oh, Oh. you lost Al. Yeah, he has such a bad opinion of this that he dropped off. <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about protocols. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just don't know. I think it's interesting that I don't really know that much about um, ActivityPub. I understand that, you know, moderation, for example, can happen in a, de- in a decentralized way, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting. Um I'm kind of curious about how this becomes itself a repository for AI training. Um, I don't know. I haven't really thought about this that much. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that like the large language models are really cool because of the data that they can ingest, right? Like it's definitely like the approach, but it's also like the training data. Um, And you're just seeing tons of sites block off. Welcome back. Yep, sorry. This, yeah, there's... I, I, I did to avoid the, the conversation. This one's too hard for me. Just, like, <laughs> just, don't just forget about sub pub activity, whatever. Um, let's, let's talk about memes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that just stuff's becoming kind of these walled gardens of walled yeah. gardens of AI training data. And so then I guess the other thing that I would share is this um, White House secures. Yeah, so I don't know if this is the right article, but. Uh, a bunch of people went to that White House from like tech companies to figure out like what's the future of AI, 
Um, and it seems like a pretty big deal to have industry people all meet in this very urgent way um, at the U.S. Capitol, which is kind of like, back to their point, the point of what I'm making is like, they didn't have Mastodon there, right? And so right. it's interesting that they're like looking at a company-based approach to regulate AI, but then there's also like this open world of protocols like the web or email um, and open models like Meta's Got One or Stable yeah. Diffusion. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fascinating because you know all the companies, uh, as far as I'm aware, that you know have been talking to the White House are they have foundational models. They're they're super capable models. So it, it makes sense that they'd want to have that conversation, right? You know, the regulation is going to come. It's not going to come fast, but I think it's going to come um, as fast as it can. Uh, but yeah, then I'm sure you guys, I know you guys have talked about this before in the past, but you have this whole, you know, all these, the whole open source um, world and open source models that are incredibly capable now, right? They're still not, I don't think that they rival all these kind of um, privately developed models, but they're pretty darn close and they're getting better every day. Um, yeah, so I don't know. That's a really interesting point that you bring up and, and putting that kind of in juxtaposition with this idea of like, well, all these walled gardens and then you have activity, but I'm not sure what to think about that yet. Like, I guess one thing I wonder is ChatGPT OpenAI kind of got away with it, right? Mm -hmm. So they got away with training a model that's based on a bunch of content that nobody thought to prevent AI from reading. And like, will OpenAI be our, our actually most comprehensive model? Because all of a sudden we're going to see like all of these different training sets cut off. It, and that's really interesting, right? Because initially it wasn't even that people didn't want people to read that information or didn't think of it. They actually did want computers to read that information. You wanted Google to crawl your stuff mm. so that you could get traffic to you. But now it's saying, okay, crawl your stuff. See you later, right? You know, thanks for the input. Never going to send you anything back, right? Yeah. With chat GPT, it's now it's like, no, I'm just going to provide the answer. It's not even Google answers <laughs> with the you. option that like, yeah. you know, yeah. like go to the links. It's like, thanks for all the free thinking. Um, just going to run with this now. And to that point of saying, okay, well, now that people are starting to close it off and saying, hey, no, this is my stuff. You can't have this stuff. I'm going to build my own AI on that. And then you have to pay to talk to that one to get stuff done. Like, of course that's going to happen. Like, that's that that's the trend. Um, you pointed it out already. As this, this is not a, a new thing. But there's to me, there's something that feels like, yeah, of course that's natural. It makes sense. If it's like there's And there's also a value in having a narrow data set to be able to create a narrow agent who knows how to do something narrow well. Um, but there's also something that feels kind of like sad and greedy about it. Like, it just doesn't feel good to me. I feel like, kind of like, come on, just let the data out. <laughs> well, on the other side, I think maybe they're doing it because they feel like, well, you built something for free with our data and it took us a long time to gather all this data. Maybe we want to, we want to build our own brain, but... Maybe we just want to strike a licensing deal with you. We don't want to build our own brain, but we just want to be compensated. Mm. 
Yeah. I think it's also interesting because I think I, I, you know, I don't know all the data sets that these foundational models were trained on. I don't think a lot of people outside the walls of these companies do. Um, but I do know that the FTC has in the past used uh, what they call algorithmic disgorgement as a remedy. Um, and that's, that's a very, very expensive thing for a company. If they basically say, mm. Hey, you got to take all this, you got to retrain your model with the data minus this data, right? Like that's, wow. it's pretty expensive. So, um, I, I think if there's going to be a lot of, um, pretty high stakes litigation <laughs> oh yeah uh, on the horizon over the next couple of years we're definitely going to see some precedent setting legal battles uh, oh, over yeah. the next few years for sure oh yeah i guess as a counterpoint to like how this stuff played out before there is wikipedia and i think wikipedia is some ridiculous amount of like google answers are just like literally wikipedia statements oh really yeah, and and it's just an it's hmm. like you can download Wikipedia, you know what I mean? And they want you to. And Jimmy Wales, to his credit, is just like ideologically opposed to advertising on the site, even though you get the mm. banner, please donate to us. It's just like an ideological thing of like I don't want this to be a business. Like mm. it doesn't need to be a business, and it's not, and it's free, and it's the best thing out there and i'm sure there was an encyclopedia that's like hey we put a lot of effort you know into True, making yeah. this encyclopedia and now it's irrelevant like the encyclopedia is irrelevant they're beautiful but i don't use them jobs to be done right like what's the what's what's the most competitive way and not necessarily most competitive company of solving the problem for people right yeah and it's kind of a nature of scale right I think it's fascinating, like Wikipedia, because they're essentially setting, it's kind of like the epistem. it's like the, the knowledge model of the world, right? How many people turn to Wikipedia for their first covenant, cut of an answer? And if you introduce, if you inject advertising into that, how does that impact, right, um, the world's view of the world? Yeah, yeah, and you can. I mean, this has been talked about quite a lot, right? Like the different kind of epistemological wars that have played out in Wikipedia. But I do think that's that. There's yeah, it's interesting to have um, like a, a source of truth, right? That is not doesn't have a commercial element driving it. Yeah. So so stick with me for this uh, analogy. So we got Wikipedia. There's a bunch of, bunch of authors. I know somebody who like actively writes in Wikipedia, and he also writes textbooks. So what he does mm. is he copies the text that he writes, and he puts it in the textbook. And so it's like for him, he's doing this anyway. It's a value to him. He can use the information. So there are people who have a business that's based on what they do on Wikipedia, but Wikipedia is not their business. Now, mm. what does Wikipedia have? It's got a bunch of editors, and they look for certain things. So there's like one guy who just looks for the incorrect use of semicolons, Whenever there's an incorrect use of semicolons, he gets an alert and he goes into the page and fixes it. So there's like a bunch of like very narrow editors. And then there's like deep vertical editor editors who are like, I care about like the conflict in the Middle East. and I'm going to watch this page and debate on it and like, you know, correct people's historical facts. So there's vertical editors. Now, the knowledge base of Wikipedia is all cited from other sources. And you, anything you put into Wikipedia has to have a URL or book citation attached to it. And then you can edit the article. And the article is kind of a summary of that 
news source. So now replace all those people with like just different motivated agents. Yep, 100%. So the question I would ask is, is the new Wikipedia actually just the same as Wikipedia, except instead of humans, it's like a bunch of different agents with different motivations? I'm going to say yeah, and <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say yes, and it. I, I think the digital twin thing is where this starts to play out, where it's like not going to be replaced by AI. It's we, we hear it all the time now. Now this is like a, you know, remember when we sounded smart like you know three months ago saying this, uh, you know, it's not going to be humans that are, are replaced by AI. It's going to be humans that are going to re- be replaced by humans with AI. So imagine, you know, take the semicolon guy and then we make his digital twin who could just run out there and work a thousand X as fast, like a thousands conservative, right? Like however many times, you know, as quickly catch as many semicolons as possible and just take his productivity to the level where he's in the loop and he's double checking this stuff. And he's essentially become a, a sliver of what he was before, which is just the quality control of catching the issues, right? Um, and who knows how, how much of that he, they're doing already, right? Like how are these issues being fed to him uh, in the first place and how many need his control and how many don't? That's such a narrow focus. If you go a little bit f- further to say this Middle East person, right? Um, how could a digital twin get some context for that issue and make sure that you know the information that's being presented is you know, accurate and not, um, you know, slander, which is people so often use Wikipedia for, right? I'm trying to, you know, spread fake news, etc. So I think this is a classic, like, add a digital twin, boost productivity rather than take people away. It's just the quality of the product's going to go up because the productivity of the individuals working in the organization could go higher. That, that's my bet. I think when it comes to contentious topics where there are competing views and people have different agendas, for sure, they're going to use agents. They already are. They have been for a long time. It's just that the agents are much better now. And I, I know that a lot of people have said this before, um, but let me add to that. I think that having you know digital twins and being able to instance a million of them if you want, right? I think it's going to necessitate some kind of means for like knowing what's coming from a human and what's not coming from a human, who is a human, proof of humanity, right? Mm. And I think Sam Altman's talked about this uh, a lot with his other company, um, you know, maybe it involves orbs, like, you know, staring at your eyes, I don't know. I signed up. I don't know if you signed up, but I signed up. It's like, we're not in your country. I haven't, I got the app, but I haven't signed up to have my, my eyeball scan yet. Scan my eyeball. Yeah, yeah but I, I think there there's something there. Um Digital twins are going to get really good. I mean, I was looking at um, the HeyGen. HeyGen, it seems like it's a collection of different technologies that are stitched together in a pipeline, right? So there's a a demo that I saw of um, you can take a video of someone talking and then basically have them speak in a different language and it modifies the video and synchronizes their lips. Uh, They speak in the new language with the same voice and also with the same kind of um, emphasis and intonation and inflection, which is, it's really incredible. I think it's powered by 11 labs, but yeah, I, I don't think watermarking is going to cut it, right? We're going to find ways to defeat watermarking. I think we're going to need some kind of cryptographic means 
of um, basically assigning the content that we produce or the content that's associated with us in addition to watermarking. So this gets us back to where we started, which is uh, the level of trust you have as an organization is going to gate your ability to do creepy stuff, right? And so <clears throat> that's the brand. And so Al's question is, how long until we don't care? And you can ask that question about like any weird, creepy technologies. How long till we don't care? And so Apple has this, you know, this treasure trove of brand trust. And other companies have kind of the opposite, depending on the area. Like I remember at Sidewalk, Apple released their phone and it was like, privacy matters. It was just like a big <laughs> billboard outside of our office. Clearly like a little, uh, little poke. Um, <laughs> a little jab. But uh, yeah, that, that issue... I would say tanked the sidewalk project, um, in my opinion, because we just didn't have the trust. And that might have been many different levels, uh, but the, that trust enables you to do great things. It prevents you from doing uh, great things. And for Apple's, for all that Apple is doing technically, it matters for influencers, but they also have billboards. I think it's interesting that they also have a ton of billboards and ads telling you about how much they care about privacy, even though they do do things like, hey, we're going to scan all your photos private, privately, right? And that was a big controversy that they were kind of like, mm -hmm. okay, we're not going to do that anymore. And they just kind of like pushed it under the rug. But that was like a big deal. They were going to scan everybody's photos. Um, but yeah, I think the billboards matter because at the end of the day, people were like, you know, how long until I don't care? Yep. it's Humans are the bottleneck and this you know, branding and education plus just creating more and more value, right? Like let's say you really care about healthy eating and then I put a burger in front of you and say, would you eat it for $40 million? The value of eating that burger to you is much higher than the value of, uh, you know, healthy eating at that moment, right? And so weird example, this is like the, that, that prostitute joke, right? <laughs> like you guys know the one where, is uh oh that one guy asked somebody to you know <laughs> okay let's skip i don't i don't know i don't know okay we're, 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 we're getting away from tag on here <laughs> we're walking around no, no it's just, it's a joke, it's a joke. Okay. so anyway <laughs> the, <laughs> the the idea that humans are the bottleneck here and like cultural uh that cultural component it only moves so quick um we're always going to be the bottleneck here that's my feeling and you know, Eugene, you had it earlier on when you said it's like, you can ask me how long until I'm not going to care. But, you know, you should actually be thinking about, you know, who's behind me in the pipeline, essentially, right? You know, as the users of this stuff. Yeah. All right. I'm going to share one more with you guys. So check this out. This is, let's see. So this is a small one. It's called... Poised is an AI communication coach. So you install it as a little, you know, partner who sits over your shoulder and sits in your meeting. And uh, let's see here. Get help anticipating what questions you'll get during your meeting. That's insane. Um, get feedback on communication and your communication skills in real time. So basically listening to, you know, how much are you talking? Are you talking too fast? Are you using filler words, et cetera? Um, can you stay clear and focused with live speaker notes, uh, 
etc. Yeah, that's also great. Um, and uh, yeah, get get sort of progress over time on how you're doing. Is it good for founders, executives, interviewers, product managers? Uh, basically, how are you doing in a meeting? We're all in meetings all the time. It's a huge part of our lives. If it's on Zoom for the moment uh, or Google Meet or whatever, you can track this stuff. So let's see if I can. Okay, I'm going to have to unshare and then share. I'm going to show you one from a meeting I had. So I used this the other day. And so my clarity is okay, 75%. I thought it was a clear person, but apparently not in this meeting. My hedging words are low, 4%. Filler words, still 151 filler words in an hour-long meeting. I'm talking way too fast. And I asked 64 questions, or 54 questions in a 60-minute meeting, which is also kind of blows me away. Um, and you can jump into the transcript here and see what's going on, and it'll tell you, hey, listeners will struggle to understand you, and it gives you these charts and everything, right? And in the moment, it also, you know, sort of, it does all this live, so it'll catch if you're doing too many filler words and flag that as you need to do better, you know, on this thing. So just a super... Super interesting little tool and an example of as soon as you're comfortable to have someone listen in and get help, they can provide value, right? Um, this in terms is very of, cool to see. It's very it really interesting. You used that thing and it actually kind of worked. That's very cool. It actually kind of worked. And oh, here, look at this. This is more qualitative. What you did well outlined and addressed the current work situation proactive problem solving and initiative. It's like, oh, why thank you, Poise. <laughs> like, you're so nice. This is great, right? What to try for next time? Some This is not super helpful, but yeah, it's good. And then while- so how did you find, how did you find it as you're using it like in the moment? Great question, so distracting. So I'm in the call and I'm like, oh, geez. What was really helpful was percentage talk time. So, mm. you know, I'm in a meeting with three people and you know, uh, four minutes in, I'm at like 70% talk time. I'm like, I need to ask some questions, let other people talk about this issue. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably pushed my questions up so high. So it definitely modified my behavior throughout mm -hmm. the rest of the call. I'm watching that. And I'm, you know, if, if, if this is, you know, me looking at you and then this is me, you know, looking at the thing, <laughs> right. There's, is That's that good communication? So it feels I did, like and then I just need my eye agent to like, you know, give the desks there. Yeah, totally. Uh, that's really cool. Can you upload files or do you have to do it live? I don't know. I, haven't, I, haven't I would love to yet. upload this conversation and see what our stats are, you know? See how it does. Alan, quiet down, bud. <laughs> that's super cool. I think it would be it would be a great exercise to take like the patterns we're seeing and like put them into like a kind of, you know, wireframe because there is like the in the moment nudge. And then there's like the, uh, the, uh, the playback or like the replay, like just after the round. And then there's kind of like the queue up. Like, I just want to queue a bunch of stuff up and check back on it later. And I wonder like all the different kind of behavioral patterns around how to leverage or talk to or work with these agents. Pretty cool. I think it's super cool. So interesting in the podcast setting of a conversation like this, there's a conversation we experience and then the conversation the listeners may experience because it's not live, right? So if we're going live, that's one thing. Uh, but for example, if we go to let's uh, tools like uh, here, I'll just pull this out really quick. 
If we go to Descript, um, which does a bunch of weird stuff for us. Let's crack this open. Really, okay, so let's say if they've got it here, this is impossibly futuristic. It's absolutely true. Let's, let's see the features. So they've got this thing called overdub where you build your own voice model and then you can just make it say a few things for you. Hey, I wish we would have covered this thing, right? And then you can add that to an audio only podcast, right? You can make it, let's see here, podcasting. Let's see some of these podcasting features. You can remove, automatically remove filler words. So let's say we say kind of and like and um all the time. We can just pull all of those out. Ah, here we go, right? So these um, nuggets are made of chicken here. Let's listen to the before and after. Oh, you guys can't hear. Yeah. But I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> you get it. The and look at the time difference, right? You know, in terms of value created per user, um, there's something there too as far as, okay, we can help you in the moment to try and improve on this. And if there's an option to edit it, we know how you need to improve and we can just do that for you. Yeah. This is interesting because I've been working on this walkie-talkie thing that's like super low level and it's very expensive to send data uh, over Wi-Fi that's like not compressed into MP3 form. And one of the things I was thinking is like, maybe you could have a voice model and like actually just put in your words and then the other person actually plays it back oh. through AI and there's like way lower data cost. But then you need intonation and stuff. But maybe there's a way to encode that like on the client, anyway, we're getting deep. But uh, yeah, I think it's I think uh, AI as an uh, as a compression format um, is going to be really interesting. There's absolutely yeah, a way to encode it. Eugene, you were mentioning earlier the translation tool. It's exactly the same thing, right? Like it's not mm -hmm. the person's original voice coming through in Spanish with this intonation, right? That that somehow need to needed to get brought across. I wonder if it's yeah. they match it based on the MP3 or if it's they encode it in some way and say, hey, this is, yeah. There's got to be an encoding from one track to the other, though, of like, so, yeah, you could just separate those from one client to one client and then transfer the code, you know, across. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I would echo that. Like, it seems like, you know, MP3 is a way of compressing sound and specifically frequencies that like we can like humans can hear right so it probably takes out a whole bunch of kind of harmonics and like super high frequencies that we can't hear but i think that speech and intonation and all those things is a smaller domain so there's probably a more efficient like representation uh that can be more efficiently compressed <laughs> i mean if you can figure that out that's probably a product right there yeah, if you can parse um, it on the client, that's the thing. Is like you would need to run this like yeah. intonation filter on the client. I'll work on it. I'll let you know. <laughs> I, I think, let us know. Getting back to this product, though, I, I think it's super interesting. I think it's cool that you can receive some real-time feedback. And I think some of that, like the talk time, is super-duper helpful. I've used something similar to that, and I find it super helpful. But I think getting like all this heavy feedback, like you're you're using too many filler words and ask more questions. For me, I think I'd find it to be a bit of a cognitive load, but I'm going to give this product a try because it looks interesting. But yeah, I, I also wonder... can't help... Oh, sorry. Cool. Oh, that's okay. I, I was just going to say, I can't help but wonder if 
everyone's going to start to sound and talk the same. <laughs> and I just wonder if, I don't know, is that a world that I want to live in? <laughs> maybe. But maybe it'll be really refreshing to see people who are just speaking like normal human beings too. Yeah. Mm. It makes me think about two things, like two great points that you made. One is like the feedback is distracting. And like, I wonder if there's like a more uh, natural, humane way to deliver that, which is like modify other people's faces. So like, you know, just kinda, you know, so how can you use existing modes of feedback that you're you're actually used to that are more pro-social? Um, and then the second thing uh, around, will it modify people's behavior? I do wonder if it's a threshold. If it's like, you know, you're in the safe zone, like we're not going to let you know too much stuff. But like, you're talking actually too much right now. You need to stop. If it was more like, I, I think about it from like, like a game, right? If, um, you know, it's, you know, when you get hit in a game and like the screen flashes because you've like lost an <laughs> HP or something <laughs> like that. And it was just a little bit more subtle. And so yeah. it's not like you have to read text. It's you're getting these, right, right. you know, more, uh, like you said, like human style cues. And we've mastered that in games. You don't have to always be reading all the instruments to be able to play and, and see what's coming along. And then when you integrate those into an experience like that, man, that'd be wild. I want that. That would be wild. Poised is already good though. So thank you team at Poised. Not a sponsor. Yeah. yeah. Whenever, you know, I see these kinds of products, it makes me think about the values that are implicitly in, um, like being applied into evaluation, right? So, oh, you know, implicitly it's saying that people should speak an equal amount of time, which makes sense to me. Implicitly it's saying that you shouldn't move your hands around too much because it's distracting. And I do think that if you have some kind of single rubric or some kind of single set of criteria, it starts to kind of homogenize things. But one of the things I like about talking to people is they're also different. They have different thoughts and they have different ways of expressing those thoughts. I think it'd be really cool to start seeing products which emphasize the things that are unique and wonderful about people. Yeah, it makes me think, like, I actually, like, there's people I don't want to, you know, talk like, and there's people I do want to talk like, and I wonder if I could upload, like, an interview with some famous <laughs> person that I like, and it's like, I want to talk like this guy, you know, or this girl, and then it helps me go in the direction I want, rather than, like, what you're saying, which is an averaging of human behavior, and mm -hmm. that's just, like, a really boring world. That it's sounds like, like um, that sounds like a great idea, and, and plausible, too. It, it, it feels to me like when you want to cheat at chess, right? And so, you know, you're playing somebody in one window and then you load up an AI bot in the other and then you just do whatever the AI bot is doing in the other one, right? Like, that's like a thing. Like, there you um, go. That's your dream, right? AI is going to make all your decisions and your facial gestures for you. Well, no, that's my can... dream. Yeah, I'm a meat puppet for the AI now. That's This is the world we live in. Yes. It's interesting, though, because we can kind of generate pretty good video, we can generate really good text, we can generate really good audio, we can synchronize the text to our mouths, and we can do, like, things in the style of, you know? Yeah. So I actually think that what you're talking about is totally plausible. In fact, we could recast this entire podcast and just say, hey, I want to talk more like, I don't know, Jimmy Fallon or something, right? And, Yeah. I think that it's would, possible. That would look weird. It would, it would be very, very strange. I, I would love to see that. <laughs> if anybody's watching, please do that. Yeah. 
All right, guys, I think we got to wrap it up. We're getting close to the end of the day. Liz, would you change your mind on today, if anything, or what got deeper entrenched for you? Hmm. You go first. Okay. So for me, it's the idea that, um, you know, Eugene, you were talking about earlier as far as the being a part of something bigger, like the ecology, mm. right? And the cybernetics thing. I hadn't thought about that for a while. I'd just been thinking about AI as this tool uh, in a way. And then remembering that it's starting to become more and more of a part of us, like it's seeping in as computers always were, but now this other intelligence is seeping into us the way that other biologies are already existing in our bodies. The fact that we're essentially adding more voices into our head is a really weird thing. That's wild. Um, yeah, that's a big one. It, it, we were already a conglomeration of our our friends, our family, etc. Um, but to think that now that we're going to add digital friends and digital advisors and digital um, you know, coaches uh, to our lives and, and team members is and they're part of us as an ecology is 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 powerful, man. That's a big idea. Yeah, totally. Uh, I think for me, I agree with that one, but I'll go with something else, which is just like feedback. Um, and like, mm -hmm. I'm still like thinking, like, how do you play having a meeting? Like in video games, you have all kinds of feedback that lets you know if you're running fast, you're low on, running low on HP, you've got like a really cool sword, you're smashing things, there's explosions, particle effects. But like, what is the future that um, AI isn't, being so explicit or like what is the in the moment feedback or what are the design patterns for delivering these kind of insights from AI? Because mm. humans do well with feedback. Whenever we can shorten the feedback loop, it's a positive thing. Most of our bad decisions come from not getting feedback early. Yeah, true. Yeah, both of those resonate with me. Uh, and I'm also thinking a lot about the idea of the always on observer um, and who's observing, right? Whether it's we're observing ourselves, whether it's an organization that's observing us, whether it's an algorithm that's observing us. Um, and, you know, thinking about uh, your, your pocket, <laughs> your, your list of our articles in pocket, um, whether we want to allow even others to see slices um, of our lives or of our, of our brains, I, I think that's really interesting too. Cool. And also I, I just find like, I love what you guys are doing. I like, I learned so much today and these products are really interesting, but I also, I really enjoyed the conversation and the thinking, <laughs> the questions. It's, it's great. Like That's that. what we're here for. Just to like, try to teach ourselves a little bit about it and anybody else, including yourself who learned something today, we're happy that you got something out of it. Thanks for joining Eugene. Thanks Al. Thanks a lot. And uh, that's a slice of our brain until next time. On the medium is the message. Boo, 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 boo.